0: Midi clinicians are menopause experts, offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Haddon was so angry at his stupid little niece Eliza for embarrassing him at her school. And then, to top it off, Jeff had told Eliza's teacher that Haddon was retarded. Haddon would get even with Eliza, he just didn't know how yet. Welcome to Serial Killer Brains. I'm your host, Caroline, a university biology professor and true crime junkie. Thanks for joining me on my quest to understand evil. This is the story of Bradfield and Haddon Clark, cannibal brothers. Dee Dee was a high school dropout and single mom struggling to support herself and her daughter, Tina. Tina. Carl was working on his third college degree at the University of Maryland when he and Dee, Dee met. There was immediate chemistry between the two, despite the fact that Dee, Dee was at least a few inches taller than the five-foot, five-inch Carl. The couple married on September 30, 1978, and a year later, their daughter Michelle was born. Dee, Dee was a practical nurse, and Carl worked in a few auto body shops, but had a tough time keeping a job. The couple did okay financially, but their relationship was contentious, to say the least. Didi would claim that Carl started to beat her shortly after Michelle was born. The pair would separate, get back together, separate, get back together, and the children would be exposed to their violent fights. Once when Michelle was a toddler, Carl pushed Didi down to the ground, and Michelle went running to her yelling, Mommy, Mommy! In another instance, the little girl walked in on Carl and Didi having sex during one of their breakups, a confusing thing for a little one to see, of happy and loving parents, let alone parents who were fighting and angry with each other all the time. Michelle was extremely affected by the constant fighting and violence. She began to stutter, grind her teeth in her sleep, and she even missed several months in kindergarten. On Valentine's Day in 1986, Carl and Dee Dee had their worst fight yet. Carl had refused to leave when Dee Dee asked him to, and he told Dee Dee that if there was to be a divorce hearing, he was going to lie under oath and tell the judge that Didi Dee Dee was an adulteress and an unfit mother. He went on to tell Didi Dee Dee that he would kidnap Michelle and she would never see her daughter again. After that, Didi Dee Dee would meet Michelle at the bus stop every afternoon after school. The couple would be in and out of the court in the battle over money and over Michelle. Carl did not want to pay child support and had threatened to quit his job so that Didi Dee Dee would be unable to collect. Needless to say, Carl and Didi Dee Dee were out to get each other. After the couple split, Carl got a place with his brother Chuck. Um, They rented a house that was just two doors down from Jeff Clark on Sudbury Lane. On Friday, May 30th, 1986, Carl picked Michelle up for their weekend together. He took Michelle to McDonald's for dinner and ice cream and to play in the restaurant's play yard. Once Michelle was ready to go, they went to the movie rental place. Those are one of those places where you would go and you would pick out movies and take them home with you. For those of you that are too young to remember Blockbuster or any of those rental places. Um, And they got The Little Mermaid for for michelle and death wish 3 for carl once they got home they watched the little mermaid and michelle went to bed all in all it was a nice and normal uneventful evening for the father and daughter the next day saturday may 31st 1986 michelle woke carl up at nine o'clock in the morning looking for breakfast and she had some very delicious lucky charms um, and watched cartoons as carl slept for another hour Carl had promised to take Michelle to the community pool to swim in the afternoon because it was incredibly hot and they didn't have air conditioning in the house on Sudbury Lane. Michelle proceeded to get herself ready for the day, and she told Carl that she was ready to go to the big pool whenever he was. Carl, however, wanted to watch the Indy 500, and this was the first year that it was televised. So he got Michelle's kiddie pool out, filled it up for her. Uh, hoping that it would placate the little girl until he was finished watching the race. The pool took a while to fill up, so Carl took Michelle to Seven Eleven for a treat and then made some ham and eggs for lunch. By this time, the little pool had filled, so he watched Michelle play for a while. Eventually, Carl went back in the house to watch the Indy 500, but quickly got bored, so he paid some bills, did some housework, at first checking on Michelle every few minutes. When Carl went out to to his car to get his checkbook, he noticed that the water in the pool was still. He didn't think much of it, as Michelle had probably gone over to Eliza Clark's house to play, as she often did. Carl continued doing some things around the house, and at about 3 p.m., he glanced out the window and saw the Clark boys playing out back. He didn't see Eliza or Michelle, but again, he didn't think anything of it, figuring the girls were inside playing. Finally, at about 6 p.m., Carl decided to collect his daughter from the Clarks. As Carl walked towards the Clark house, he saw Jeff and the two boys, plus another woman and another little boy in the backyard barbecuing. Eliza was there, too, but there was no Michelle. Where was Michelle? Jeff said he had not seen her all day. Carl didn't believe him, so he asked Eliza, and Eliza confirmed that Michelle had not been there all day. Carl wandered through the neighborhood looking for Michelle. He called Dee Dee, even though he knew she was out of town. Nothing. After he was good and panicked, he decided to drive to the police department to report her missing. Carl quickly became the prime suspect in the disappearance of his daughter, and the more the police looked at him, the more they thought Carl must be guilty. Michelle was gone. Carl hadn't slept. On June 1, 1986, Carl took a lie detector test, which was administered by the fire marshal. The results indicated that Carl might know more than he was letting on. The police wanted Carl to take another lie detector test, but after he spoke to his divorce attorney, um, who subsequently advised him not to take a lie detector test, another one, Carl refused. So the police instead tapped his phones and put surveillance on him. Didi, upon speaking to the police, immediately accused Carl of doing something to Michelle. Didi gave the police lots of ammunition against Carl, how he did not want to pay child support, how he threatened to kidnap Michelle. Police canvassed the area and the Clark's gardener told them that he remembered seeing someone at the Clark's that day. The gardener had asked to use the phone in the kitchen and he reported seeing a little girl who fit Michelle's description while he was in the kitchen. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess. Ah, in my dentist's office. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This same day on June 1st, one of the detectives was driving around the Sudbury neighborhood looking for anything when he saw Haddon outside the Clark house working on his truck. The detective stopped and asked him if he'd been around the day before and if he had seen anything. Haddon said that he'd been there just for a few minutes to feed his rabbit. When the lead detective, Mike Garvey, heard about Hadden, he ordered Haddon be brought in for questioning. It took a few days for Haddon to come in to be questioned. On Thursday, June 5th, the police subpoenaed Carl and his brother Chuck to appear before a grand jury, but Carl pled the Fifth Amendment, which protects um, against self-incrimination. Carl ended up acquiescing, and he took another lie detector test that he actually passed this one. On June 8th at 930, Hadden finally arrived at the police station alone for questioning. Haddon told the police that he'd been at his brother's house from about 1.30 till about one forty-five that afternoon that Michelle disappeared. Based upon Carl's account that he had last seen Michelle at 2.10 p.m., it didn't seem po- possible for Haddon to be involved. And that time is important, that 2.10 p.m. that Carl said was the last time he saw Michelle. Haddon had a Bible with him, and at some point he began to qu- quote scripture he quoted from Mark sixteen twenty three twenty six 26, and 28. Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense to me, unto me. For thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? There be some standing here which shall not taste of death till they see the Son of Man coming into his kingdom. While Haddon was being interviewed, he began to tell a story about his brother and how one of his nephews had kicked him in the testicles. Then Haddon slipped and told the detective that when he was playing with the little girl, he would he would pin them down. At that point, the detective slipped a photo of Michelle across the table at Haddon, and Haddon wouldn't look at the picture. He got tears in his eyes. Haddon then excused himself and went to the bathroom to be sick. The detective stood outside the bathroom and yelled at Haddon, What did you do? Her parents need to know. Haddon finally admitted that he may have done something to her, but that he didn't remember. Once Haddon calmed down, he told the detectives that he had worked at the country club clocking in after riding his bike. He clocked in at 2.46 p.m. The country club was five miles from Jeff's house, which would have taken at least 15 to 20 minutes for Haddon to ride um, his bike. And that's, that's at the fastest. If Carl had seen Michelle at 210, was there time for Haddon to have killed her and arrived to work within 36 minutes, 16 minutes, if it took him 20 minutes to ride there? Haddon was no longer a suspect. On June 9th, the police showed up at Carl's house with a search warrant, but they found nothing. On June 10th, the police brought dogs in to track her scent, but they found nothing. Carl hadn't slept in over a week. He was starting to lose it. And he had a psychotic breakdown due to the stress of losing Michelle and the guilt over his role in her disappearance. Carl, in his deluded state, now claimed that he had abducted and killed Michelle. So there's extensive research that correlates the lack of sleep to acute psychosis. From after about 24 to 48 hours, there are perceptual distortions, anxiety, depersonalization, which is like the detachment from the body, like, like you're viewing your mind and body as an observer and not as part of that being. Um, and temporal disorientation, unable to fully comprehend time and space. With 48 to 90 hours, um, the individual who has not slept will have complex hallucinations and disordered thinking. After 72 hours, acute psychosis, delusions, and it often resembles toxic delirium, which what happens when you're poisoned. Carl became so deluded that he began to think if he could find Michelle, he could bring her back to life because he now thought he was Jesus. Upon his realization that he was indeed Jesus, he went to the house he once shared with Didi to tell her of his revelation. When he arrived, there was a man named Jagan there from the National Missing Child Society. Um, The guy was there interviewing Didi about Michelle's disappearance. It was at this point that Carl realized that Jagan was, in fact, Satan. Jagan, he decided that Jagan had killed Michelle and put her little body in the crawl space of, of Carl's house. Dee Dee was disturbed by Carl's appearance, which you can't really blame her for. So she called the police, who promptly brought Carl to the station to write up a report. But by the time the report was written, the police claimed that Carl had confessed to killing Michelle um, and stated that it was him, not Jagan, who had hidden her body in the crawl space of his house. Carl was placed on an immediate psychiatric hold. The doctors examined Carl, and they concluded that he had been temporarily insane from the lack of sleep and stress, and that his confessions should be treated as false. However, as soon as Carl was released from the hospital, the police brought him in to question him again. Um, it's likely that part of the reason Carl was breaking down was because he felt so guilty that he had not seen his daughter for a well since well before one in the afternoon. Um, he didn't want the police to know this because he was embarrassed. He told the police instead that Michelle had come into the house around 2:10 to get a pool and a, uh, to get a towel and ask if they were still going to the pool. Eventually the investigation into Carl came to a standstill and the case went cold. In 1987, Carl Dora had another breakdown. He walked into the police station and claimed he had the power of resurrection. The detectives started to interrogate him again. They tried to get him to say that she'd accidentally drowned in the pool or that he'd put her hand, his hand over her mouth and accidentally smothered her. After a couple hours, Carl started to think that maybe he had, in fact, killed her. The detectives called Dee, thinking that he would confess to her. And he told Dee that he did kill Michelle and that her body was in the back of his inoperable Chevy van. But by this time, Dee knew that he didn't kill Michelle. Michelle, of course, was not in the back of his van. The next time Carl showed up at the police station, the cops threw him out. The day after he was thrown out, Carl showed up again, this time saying he had buried Michelle in his dad's coffin at Fort Lincoln Cemetery. Then he said he had smothered Michelle with his hand, wrapped her in a blanket, and put her in a sewer pipe. He got pulled over for a traffic violation and signed the ticket, God. He was again checked into a psychiatric ward. He spent 10 days there. Carl was no doubt under immense stress and pressure. And in 1988, America's Most Wanted aired a story about Michelle and basically said that Carl had done it. Um, at this point, Carl's mental health deteriorated even more. He showed up at Dee Dee's and broke a window, and he was put on three years probation for this. Take a quick break to get a word from the show's sponsors. more than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Let's go back to May 31st, 1986. It was Saturday, and Haddon was at Jeff's moving the last of his things out of Jeff's basement. He was mad at Eliza for Jeff calling him retarded after Eliza pretended not to know him when he showed up at her school to pick him up to pick her up. Haddon was also mad that Jeff and his kids were out having fun and that Haddon had to move, and then he had to work all night in a hot kitchen serving fancy food to rich people. Haddon decided to take a little break, and he was outside leaning against his truck when a little girl walked up wearing a cute little pink and white polka dot and ruffled um, bathing suit. She had shoulder-length hair and bright blue eyes. She was wet, and she dragged a towel behind her. Haddon knew that she was Eliza's friend, and when she asked for Eliza, he told her that she was probably in the kitchen or playing in her room. Once the little girl went into the house, she headed up to Eliza's room. Hadn grabbed a sharp 12-inch butcher knife out of his truck and he crept up the stairs to Eliza's room and he found Michelle playing with the doll. He made it to the top of the stairs and he threw Michelle to the floor so fast that she couldn't even scream. Hadn't cut her chest in a Z pattern, but she was still alive. He covered her mouth and she bit him so hard that he thrust the 12-inch blade through her throat. There was tons of blood all over Eliza's room. He very disgustingly tried to have sex with the little girl's dead body, but failed. So he wrapped her, well, at least that's what he says. He wrapped her in trash bags and then he placed her in his old Navy bag. He mopped up the blood with rags and unfortunately, Jeff nor his children were any wiser. Hadn't sliced his hand during the attack on Michelle. So after he left work at the country club, he went to the Naval Hospital to get it stitched up. Other than being questioned once, Haddon was not a suspect in Michelle's disappearance. He spent the next year, year and a half, going from job to job, staying with his mom, staying in other places. And by the summer of 1988, Haddon had rented a room from a family called the Mahanies. After a couple weeks, they asked him to leave because they felt he was evil and crazy. In true Haddon form, he killed two of their cats, skinning one of them, hanging one from the front door, and the other one he put in the refrigerator. He sprayed black dye on the living room carpet. He put rotting fish in the chimney, the piano, and a stove. He balanced a 10-gallon can of oil and water above a door so it would fall when it was opened. He stole some Chinese language books, two tape players, audio cassettes, a camera, shoes, and women's clothing. He came back after being kicked out and took a vacuum and a bicycle. And in September of 1988, Haddon returned to Block Island to live with his mother. He got a job as a carpenter's apprentice. But by November of 1988, Haddon and his mother were not getting along well. Haddon attacked his mother, um, again, because he had attacked her previously. He knocked her down. He kicked her. He even attempted to run him over after she caught him stealing. Flavia charged him with assault and battery. He pled no contest and received one year probation. Flavia wrote him a letter saying Haddon was dead to her unless he went to the VA to get help. She reminded him that she and her fa- she and his father had loved him in past tense. Christmas Day of nineteen eighty eight, Haddon was stopped for for speeding, and he had with him a loaded, unregistered gun. There were charges pending against Haddon by the Mahanys, the, his former landlord, and by another man who he had rented a basement apartment from. Of course, Haddon began to creep the guy out, so the guy evicted him, and in true Haddon form, Haddon trashed the guy's house. Haddon was given a one-year suspended sentence for this. Fast forward to February 19th of 1989. Haddon was parked at the side of a highway around one in the afternoon when two officers noticed him. Haddon was leaning over the passenger seat and was messing with a green woman's coat, moving stuff from the coat to the storage space behind the truck's seat. The officers thought that he might be sick, so they approached him, but they noticed a gun holster, so they ordered him to exit his truck and walk away. Haddon told them that no one could go in his truck. One of the officers went through the green coat expecting to find a gun, but instead she found a lady's purse. When she asked Haddon if the purse was his, Haddon said that it was and that he was a woman. Haddon claimed that he found the purse, which had a woman's ID and credit cards. In his truck, they also found other women's coats, a woman's wig, a hypodermic needle and syringe, women's eyeglasses, a wad of cash, ones and 20s mostly, and purses and wallets from 15 women that had been stolen from a church during choir practice. Haddon was arrested, and he spent 45 days in jail before he posted bond. Haddon said he didn't post bond because it was February, and in jail he got three meals a day, movies on Thursdays, and a warm place to sleep. He probably should have stayed there. He was able to plead guilty to one count of theft um, over $300 and to one count of theft under $300. He was given a sentence of 18 months, and then all but 45 days of that was suspended, and he was given three years probation. Hadn't at this time, he was still on parole in Rhode Island for assaulting his mother and in Maryland for his offenses against the Mahaney's. He was homeless, living out of a tent in his truck behind the White Flint Mall in Rockville, Maryland. He worked at an upscale Italian restaurant as an assistant cook for less than six months. He was fired for his strange behavior. hadn't then claimed that he trashed the restaurant afterwards. He worked at the Holiday Inn as a salad baker for three months, worked as a landscaper for a month. So he had real difficulty in holding a job down. In July of 1989, he was required by the court to seek mental health assistance. He changed his mind once he got there and tried to leave, but was forcibly brought back in and put in restraints and seclusion and was given Haldol. Haldol is a medication used to treat schizophrenia. The Haldol calmed him down quickly, and he was taken out of the restraints. He was released on July 17, 1989 and given a week's worth of medication with the understanding that he would be back on the following Monday for an appointment. Surprisingly, he did not go back for an appointment. He told the mental health caregiver that he'd experienced hallucinations, that birds and squirrels talked to him. While Haddon was in the psychiatric ward, he saw two psychiatrists, the first one Diagnosed him with psychosis, with questionable ideology, paranoid delusions, and described Haddon as tearful with intermittent angry outbursts, but no homicidal ideations, right? So even though he had already killed a little girl, he had no homicidal ideations. The second psychiatrist um, described Haddon as a talkative, naive young man, socially maladapted. He was a victim of circumstances. He was more of a threat to himself because he exhibits poor judgment and self-defeating behaviors. Haddon would have frequent stomach aches because, according to Haddon, he had constant diarrhea from living in the woods. He told the doctor that he was nervous about an upcoming court date, that he had been arrested six times in the last four years. Doctor wrote that Haddon distracts from reality of situations by avoiding, projecting, and inserting confusion. Haddon's last words to the doctor were, Quote, I think I have a split personality. I don't like to hurt people, but I do things I'm not aware of. End quote. And that's according to Adrian Hevel's book Born Evil. He left the hospital demanding his VAID back, and he was marked as absent without leave by a staff nurse. This has been Serial Killer Brains. Join me next time as I continue to explore the evil that is had in Clark. If you're enjoying the podcast, please take a moment to rate and review. The um, the show on your favorite podcatcher. You can follow me on most of your social media platforms at SKB Pod. And if you want to meet me, I'll be at Crime Con's house arrest on November twenty first on Podcast Row. So I look forward to meeting you all, and I will s- see you next time. Thanks for joining me on my quest to understand evil.